Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Vienna talks on reviving the dormant Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action regarding Iran's nuclear ambitions have seemingly been on hold for several weeks now, with the parties closer than ever, but unable to close the deal yet. It is complicated by two of the parties, Russia in the negotiating room and the United States in the corridor outside the door, being opponents in the Ukraine war which evidently takes priority over almost everything else. Meanwhile, the Iranians are making measured moves toward a nuclear weapons capability. They also maintain their aggressive policy throughout the Middle East, which Israel and other regional powers oppose, some with determination and others with frustration. What is then the next assessment of these Iran-centered efforts? To analyze this, we're joined from central Israel by Brigadier General in Reserve Yossi Kupelvaso, who is a Project Director on Middle East Developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Also joining us from central Israel is Mr. Elan Etzion, who is a former deputy head of Israel's National Security Council. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thanks for having me. And with us here in the studio, of course, is our TV7 editor at large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers and Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to Iran's nuclear efforts. So obviously, Iran uh, wants to uh, have the deal and uh, to have the sanctions lifted so that uh, its economy can get uh, a boost. But um, there is a price for its uh, uh, rejoining the agreement uh, which was uh, broken by President Trump in uh, 2018. And the Biden administration also wants to go back to the uh, Obama administration's uh, initiative to have this uh, agreement. But again, um, there's a limit to the price it wants or is uh, ready to, uh, to pay. So Iran is cautiously uh, creeping towards the um, uh, total sum of fissile material, which will enable it, uh, if it decides uh, to do it, to uh, compose uh, a first and maybe more nuclear bombs. It wouldn't have the entire capacity, um, the uh, missiles, the warheads, and the other uh, equipment uh, and arrangements needed for a nuclear strike, but it is advancing cautiously. Why cautiously? Because it wants to signal that if it doesn't get the uh, terms which it demands, it may get even closer to this capacity, but it doesn't want to be there already so that it will provoke Israel or others to strike. General Kupelwasser, your take on the latest uh, state of play? Well, I think that uh, the situation is dire because the two options that are standing on the table uh, are both problematic. And what is uh, going on right now is that because the Iranians uh, believe that they can get even more than what they've already gotten from the uh, from the Americans, they keep a very, as Amir said, a very uh, uh, problematic position 
that uh, requires the United States to give up even on the issue of the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard, and uh, take them off from the foreign uh, terrorist organization list. And uh, this is something that the Americans cannot uh, deliver, it seems so because of political considerations. And this means that we are going to stay in a position, in a place where the Iranians are going to get closer and closer to uh, having a very short threshold separating them from having the enough uh, fissile material for uh, an explosive uh, nuclear device. And uh, that's what they're doing right now. They uh, accumulate more and more uh, highly enriched uranium, uh, not in military level, but uh, not far away from military level. So that when they decide, if they decide to uh, rush to, uh, to having uh, fissile material that is of military grade, they will be able to, to do it in a really fast manner. Uh, even today, it's only some three weeks that they need. This can be even less, and not only for one explosive device, but maybe even for four or five explosive devices in, in the near future. And this is a situation that is very close to a position where Iran actually can produce nuclear weapons, which is something that Israel cannot tolerate. The alternative is even worse, that the Americans give, give in and uh, uh, allow the Iranians to have everything they want, and we go back to the agreement that allows Iran not only to have the capability to produce uh, maybe four or five explosive devices, not the weapons at that time, but uh, to be able to produce 100 or so uh, uh, nuclear weapons with, uh, within a very short period of time in the end of the agreement in nine years. So these are the two options that uh, are on the table right now. Both are dangerous. Uh, yes, it is true. I think the Israeli position is correct that uh, the first option is less problematic than the second option, but both of them are very problematic. And we might end up with a situation where something has to be done about it. Fortunately, I think what we are seeing right now is that the Americans too understand that they have to be ready for an op for Plan B, as they call it, and uh, get ready to uh, change their attitude and uh, use some uh, threats towards Iran and not only uh, carrots. And uh, that was still to be seen that they realize that they are getting there, but I don't think that they actually totally uh, digested the, the new situation and are ready to. to uh, play by a different set of rules. Indeed. Mr. Etzion, your take? I think the fundamentals have not changed in terms of the perception of the Americans of their own interest, which is obviously to go back to JCPOA and correct the huge historic mistake that President Biden committed under the influence of former Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, and in that sense, they are still uh, ready and willing and I suspect there is a possibility, there, there is still, the probability is still uh, for an agreement, even though it is lower than it was, let's say, a few weeks ago. In my assessment, still the probability is that we will have an agreement in the foreseeable future, at least as far as the Americans are concerned. It, it gets more complicated when you look at the Iranians, and it gets even more interesting, quote-unquote, when you look at, at, at uh, a third actor, which is not mentioned enough in this context, uh, in my mind, and that is Russia. I think what is happening here that possibly, and I say it cautiously because I don't have any evidence, it's just speculation, but I think it's possible that the Russian calculus with respect to the JCPOA and the negotiations has changed because of the Ukrainian situation. And they might be re-examining their position, their historic position, on the Iranian nuclear issue and the entire context of the JCPOA through the new lens of the new crisis. 
And from their perspective, it, uh, it may suddenly look differently. The prospect of allowing Iran to get closer to uh, a nuclear military, nuclear capability in a new world order in which uh, it resembles much more the Cold War in terms of the two blocks, one handed by the US and the, other, and the EU and the other headed by China and Russia, uh, where Iran is, is very strongly in the Chinese-Russian bloc, and it is within the interest, obviously, of the Russians to maintain Iran and to foster this, this uh, position of Iran. The whole nuclear situation with respect to Iran suddenly looks differently from the Russian perspective. And in turn, it might also look slightly differently or, or more than slightly from the Iranian perspective, because they're also very astute in understanding uh, the global circumstances, understanding uh, the superpowers positions. They're, they're much more adapted that than we tend to believe as Israelis. So I think things might be changing in that respect. And in my mind, obviously, this is not a welcome development. Uh, to refer to what uh, Kupavasar was saying, between the options that are on the table, I basically only see two options. One is going back to the JCPOA, um, perhaps under worse conditions than the original JCPOA. And yes, with more American gives to the Iranians out of necessity. Uh, to me, this is still the, the, the less prob problematic uh, option. And the other option is to muddle through, uh, to allow the Iranians to continue their activities in the way that they've been doing so far, which kind of borders on the, uh, the uh, unpermissible under the JCPOA, but still careful enough not to cross a certain threshold, which they know will trigger uh, other actions by other actors. And this could go on, you know, until a few weeks ago, we all believed this could not go on for very long. I now think it can go on perhaps longer than, than we anticipated, again, because of the Russian-Ukrainian situation and the fact that all eyes are there and, and not on JCPOA. So the question to be asked is, how long can this status quo, quote unquote, which we're seeing right now, how long can, can it be maintained? And the answer to me is not clear. As for a third option, the so-called military option, I don't think it exists, certainly as far as Israel is concerned. And I don't think it also exists for now as far as, as the US is concerned. There's, and there's no other third actor that would take such action. So it's, it's more talk than anything else. And I think the Iranians see it for what it is. Indeed, at least they speculate uh, in this regard, because uh, ultimately what I hear in Europe, uh, uh, Mr. Oren, is that the Europeans are also slowly losing patience with uh, the whole Iranian question due to the Russian component, as Mr. Etzion also noted. But there is an increased understanding that uh, the Russia-Ukraine arena has drawn the camps within the great power competition, and as such, the Iranians, of course, are more aligned, if not completely aligned, with the Chinese and the Russians, something that the Americans have now also in the Senate. Of course, it's not a binding motion, but have passed a motion uh, calling for uh, a more vigorous uh, engagement regarding Iranian nuclear activities uh, and not to differentiate between its malign behavior in the region to its activities in the nuclear file. Uh, much also because of the fact that uh, this was part of the comp uh, competition with the Iran Act within Congress. So uh, can you tell us more about that? 
So a few points there. Uh, first of all, a couple of minutes ago, uh, Iran Etzion uh, said President Biden when he meant uh, President Trump. So well, I agreed with him. Yes, but uh, but he, uh, referred he referred to, to, to Trump, uh, Trump's uh, withdrawal from the agreement. Now, yes. uh, uh, as, for, as for the um, uh, effort to separate Iran's malign activities in the region from the nuclear file, this goes back uh, to the Cold War when uh, the Americans, uh, the whole detente policy uh, was aimed at uh, going at the most dangerous part of the competition, and that was the uh, arms race. So they had um, uh, arms control agreements, even though competition throughout the world remained. And here, too, what uh, President Obama, with Biden as his vice president, decided is that uh, rather than try to uh, solve the entire basket of problems, which was uh, improbable, uh, he would go for the nuclear file, and this is what uh, happened uh, in 2015. Now, it's interesting to speculate what would have happened had President Trump listed the IRGC uh, as a foreign terrorist organization without or before revoking the deal, because this happened a year after, in 2019, after he um, uh, tried to revoke uh, the deal. And now it's combined. The, the problem, which is now um, um, at the uh, negotiations, is that the Iranians insist that the IRGC be delisted, even though originally it was not part of uh, the, uh, the deal uh, at all. Now, as for the Russian uh, view of Iran, Yes, uh, Iran's uh, point uh, is well taken, but one could also uh, look at the uh, Soviet experience. The Soviets were not too happy with China getting its own uh, nuclear capability and then competing uh, with the Soviet Union. They are not too keen on North Korea having this nuclear capability. Obviously, they didn't want uh, Kazakhstan, Belarus, and the Ukraine to become nuclear uh, nations after the fall of the Soviet Union, why would they support a nuclear Iran, which would, in short order, lead to a nuclear Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and most especially Turkey? Turkey neighbors um, uh, Russia, uh, the uh, Black Sea, and all of the other uh, neighboring uh, nations. So the Russians more than ever, and perhaps more than any other nation except for Israel, would not want to see a nuclear Iran. Not to forget that two weeks ago we had on this panel uh, Dr. Oli Heinonen, the former de Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, who highlighted uh, the fact that uh, within uh, the components of the development projects, or the Natanz and the various reactors, they're all run by the RGC. Of course, this has a significant angle to that. And the second point uh, with regard to uh, Mr. Etzion's uh, remark about the Biden administration, obviously, uh, joking aside, uh, there is two different camps at this stage. One that is more of a proponent of the JCPOA, seeking to revive this in order to eliminate one of the four pillars of the development of Iran's nuclear program. And the second element, of course, is uh, the ones who say there's better 
not to have a deal than a bad deal. And the fact of the matter is the current JCPOA within uh, the construct as it was uh, agreed upon, not even signed because it's not a treaty, but agreed upon in back in 2015, uh, is flawed to the core. Uh, and therefore, General uh, Kupervasa, what can be done as an alternative? What, what is an alternative to the JCPOA wow. uh, in such a case? First of all, I think that uh, what we have to be worried about is that uh, there is no status quo. I mean, Iran alluded to a status quo that's developing, but it's not a status quo because every day that goes by, the Iranians accumulate more and more highly enriched uranium at 60% enrichment and 20% uh, enrichment, uh, from which, from both uh, levels, you can very easily and rapidly uh, reach 90%. And that, as I explained in the beginning, they are getting uh, closer to a position where they can produce not only one or even four uh, explosive devices, but more and more. So this is not a, a status quo, it's a problematic status quo. And uh, it's a problematic situation where the danger gets bigger and bigger by the day. And uh, that's why we cannot just look at that and just, uh, just say that because the Iranians are not crossing into 90% enrichment, uh, this is a status quo. This is not a status quo. This is a changing situation that is becoming uh, worse and worse every day. Uh, that's where we stand right now. And uh, that's why this situation is problematic. And that's why this situation calls for a plan B. Uh, for something different uh, on behalf of the, of the United States, and the Americans understand it. Uh, actually, they understood it long, long ago, and they were saying that there's little time and a very short time before we have to get to a decision, and uh, this time has uh, become uh, longer and longer, and uh, now we are already almost a year and a half since uh, the Biden administration took office. So this, uh, this is the, the first thing we have to understand. Secondly, uh, the situation on the, on the other side of the equation, the, the, the strengthening of the uh, proxies of the, of the Iranians in the region is also problematic. Yes, Israel is doing a lot and just quick doing whatever it's doing uh, in order to slow it down. But even if we manage to uh, hit 90% of the weapons sent by, uh, uh, by uh, uh, Iran to uh, Hezbollah, still 10% make the way. And uh, we are clearly witnessing a situation where Hezbollah uh, is getting more and more armed. Uh, this is uh, precisely guided uh, munition. Uh, this is something that we have to be worried about. And uh, it is reflected by the fact that Israel is now embarked on the chariots of uh, fire, uh, big exercise that uh, makes clear that Israel prepares itself to a situation where it has to do something about this uh, growing uh, threat both from Iran and from the Iranian proxies in the region. And, uh, and if we keep in mind also what's happening in the Palestinian arena, the wave of terror and the threats coming from uh, the Iranian uh, ally uh, uh, Sinwar in, in Gaza and other uh, Hamas sources, this is something that Israel cannot uh, just uh, keep watching and do, uh, do nothing about. It has to, to take action. And uh, the most important thing is to make sure that the United States understands uh, the grievance of the situation and uh, is ready to uh, adopt a new policy on that uh, situation. This is why uh, Bennett uh, asked, I think, uh, President Biden to come to, to Israel. He didn't uh, want him to come in order to deal with the Palestinian issue because uh, Bennett, I don't think, uh, expects any breakthroughs in this respect. But uh, in the context of the Iranian issue, uh, I think the Prime Minister is uh, very concerned of the situation and wants to make sure that he can uh, privately discuss this matter with, Beth with uh, President Biden in order to uh, convince him 
that uh, a new attitude has to be adopted and beyond what Israel is already doing and is doing a lot, but not enough in order to uh, make sure that uh, the situation doesn't become really dangerous. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Tzion, I'd, I'd like to ask you with regard to uh, the JCPOA. Just uh, uh, earlier this week, we heard uh, the chair of the Senate's Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, Senator Menendez, coming out and, and uh, actually acknowledging that uh, Biden administration officials have uh, acknowledged to him, have confirmed to him that uh, the JCPOA window of opportunity to truly gain uh, from this agreement when we're talking about Iran's nuclear development uh, has closed back in February already, uh, raising concerns about uh, uh, this fact and, and uh, touching base on uh, seeking alternatives. Now, there there is no political will for military action in the Middle East. Everybody is aware of that, uh, especially not in the United States, Europe, uh, neither in Europe, but also not in Israel. Uh, there is no uh, true keenness on seeing another round of war uh, with uh, a country like Iran, like Lebanon, or, or elsewhere. Nevertheless, sometimes actions need to be taken in order to prevent uh, actors or uh, state actors, for that matter, uh, from possibly taking action based on the words that they repeatedly echo over the past several years, and that is to annihilate the Jewish state. The, the operative word here is tolerance and not in terms of rhetoric, but in strategic terms. And I would argue that the level of tolerance vis-a-vis -vis, um, what Kupavaso described, the advancement of Iran in terms of accumulating 60% enriched material, has changed dramatically because of many circumstances, you know, some of them pertaining directly to JCPOA and the nature of negotiations, uh, a lot of it is, again, related to the new situation after the Russian invasion to Ukraine. And yes, the Americans have said and will continue to say that the window is closing or has closed or will close shortly. But the fact of the matter is that the window is open and will continue to be open as long as there is no other viable alternative. And there is no other viable alternative, nor will it Will there be such an alternative, at least in the foreseeable future? You know, in the operational, uh, speaking operationally, a year, roughly a year from now at least, I don't think there's going to be any viable alternative to simply trying to persuade the Iranians to go back to the negotiating table, to soften their positions and so on. From a diplomatic and, perspective. Sorry? From a diplomatic perspective, however. From an overall strategic perspective. Uh, that, that tries to capture the entire situation, you know, from the perspective of all actors for a second. Um, the, the Americans have to wait it out, the Israelis have to wait it out, the Russians have to, everybody have to wait it out. And the Iranians can continue as long as they don't, you know, break out, as we say, and we won't go into technical details. Um, that, to me, that, that is the fact of the matter, uh, regardless of the rhetoric. The rhetoric can escalate, you know, rhetorically, you can say a lot of things, but ultimately, and the point, of course, is that the, the Iranians understand it. The Iranians know that they can get away with it, quote unquote, because of everything that we uh, already enumerated. So is there another option? Um, if we analyze the real interests of, of the, the key actors, as I tried to do before, um, I still believe, again, as I said, the probability of reaching an agreement within the coming months is higher than any other scenario. I think the Americans are still very much keen on having it. 
I think the Iranians are, uh, let's say, almost as keen as they were a few weeks ago, uh, if not exactly the same. And a lot of it is maneuvering and negotiating tactics that, as we all know, the Iranians are very good at. And um, if I'm if I'm mistaken and the Russian calculations have not changed and they still want a return to JCPOA, then probably we will have it. And if I'm right and the Russian calculation has changed, this to me is the the, the real game changer. Because I General, don't think there was, there, there was uh, a real change in the American position or in the Iranian position. There mm. might have been uh, a real change in the Russian position. Um, but other, because, so the, the bottom line is that I do believe we'll get to an agreement. And is there a third way? Is there something that any actor can do right now to uh, affect a real strategic change on the situation? I, I don't see it. Uh, preparations for a plan B, uh, military exercises and so on and so forth, it's all fine. Uh, it won't have an immediate impact on the situation. And if at all, it might have an impact within, uh, you know, roughly speaking, a year, two years from now. And by then, a lot of other things will happen. Indeed. Uh, General Kupelwasser, uh, you have less than a minute to respond. Well, yeah. First of all, I'm not sure that the Russian position here is that important because the, nothing is demanded from the Russians. Uh, they don't have to do anything. Uh, they are members of the, or they are uh, signatories or partners of the uh, uh, JCPOA, they still are committed to the JCPOA. Nothing changed. They don't have to do anything. It's, the question yeah. is what the, the United States is going to do about, uh, about it and what the uh, Iranians are going to do about it. Nobody demands anything from the, from the Russians. Can, can, so, I insert, the, can I insert a word? One moment. Yes, of course I, you can. <laughs> first, the Russians do have an operational role within the implementation of Indeed. JCPOA, as you know. And they tried already to use it to squeeze the Americans to give them waiver and sanctions and so on. Secondly, the Russians can whisper in the ears of the Iranians that they don't need to rush, that they have the Russian yeah, back. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I agree that the Russians are a player. I agree that yeah. the Russians are a player. But nothing is demanded from them. They don't have to do anything. It's, uh, it's the, the United States has to lift the sanctions. Uh, the Iranians have to stop enrichment and to uh, take out from Iran the... Uh, uranium that they've uh, accumulated in uh, higher levels than the uh, uh, 3.67%. That's that's what has to be done. Uh, transfer it to Russia. Transfer it to Russia. Yes. yes. Uh, I don't think the Russians are going to say no. We are not ready to to, to take it. That's that's not an issue. So it's, uh, I, don't, I don't think that the, the Russians are playing such a big role. Yes, Russia is now involved in all kinds of things that uh, have to, has to do with Iran. And uh, of course, has to do with, uh, with the United States and the uh, global uh, game play. But I don't think it's, it affects the, the discussions in Vienna about uh, the uh, uh, coming back to the JCPOA. Well, this is unfortunately all the time that we have for today, and there is uh, much still to talk about. But I'd like to thank General Kupelwasser, Mr. Etzion, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.